miracle worker, light in the darkness. And he's right here right now. With that in mind, let's talk to Jesus right now. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you this morning. And now we worship you in the way we open up the word, your word, the book that you wrote. And we commit our time to you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series entitled Unstoppable, the story of the birth and growth of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Today we're going to talk about the church under attack. Now, think about the early church. They were born in Acts chapter 2. You know, the Holy Spirit descending on them uh, and taking up residence in their hearts and lives. 3,000 people after Paul, uh, Peter's first sermon. 5,000 the next sermon. The church is exploding. They're, they're probably thinking, man, this church is going to spread around the world and no one's going to stop it. It's, it's so powerful. It's so accepted. But then they're shocked by their first persecution. And that happens in Acts chapter 4. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. The unexpected happens. The city is buzzing about the church. Thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the buzz that's going on in Jerusalem, the church is attacked. And it must have taken the church by surprise. Like you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. The bottom line of our talk is this. The church experiences its first persecution as it spreads the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus informed his disciples these attacks would happen. And believers should adopt a biblical strategy to successfully face opposition. Uh, every one of us is going to go through trials. Every one of us, as you take a stand for Christ, will face opposition. Jesus talked about it. He said things like this, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. In John chapter 16, he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. If there's one thing the world needs today, if there's one thing people need in the world today, it's peace in their hearts. A peace. And Jesus Christ gives it. Then he goes on and says this, In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. There's only one person that can overcome the world. It's the God-man. That's not a claim an ordinary person can make. But the God-man can. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, had overcome the world. It, the book begins with Jesus giving his final instructions. Go and be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1. The disciples watch it. And they get this angel message that says, he'll one day return exactly as he left. You'll see it. One day he will come back. Then the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 and Peter's first sermon, as I mentioned earlier, 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ. Then a lame man healed. An amazing miracle. A man that had never walked, lame from birth, sitting at the steps of the temple courtyard. And Peter gives him legs. He gets up and walks. 
And this man leaps up the steps into the temple courtyard, praising God, gathers a crowd. Peter gives another sermon. And 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. The church is on the move. If you were part of it, you would say, oh man, everybody loves us. Thousands coming to faith in Christ. But the first attack happens in chapter 4. Peter and the other leaders of the church are arrested, put in jail for what they're teaching. And then Peter, as he's released and asked to stand in front of the Jewish council, gives an amazing testimony for Christ. Let's read about it in Acts chapter 4. I'll start at verse 1. Let's have our Bibles open. Here it is. It says this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly what? Greatly excited about what was happening. Is that what it says? No, greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. The reason for that was the Sanhedrin, this council of 71 people that led the nation of Israel in its religious affairs. They only met in the morning. And it was already evening. So they put them in jail until they could meet with this council the next day. That's exactly what happens. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. These are names that uh, have appeared a number of times in the New Testament, Annas and Caiaphas. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. They asked them a question. By what power... Or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that, don't you? Same challenge for all of us every day. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To say, God, here's my life. Not holding anything back. See, if, if there's a compartment of your life that you're saying, God, I, I want to control this one area of my life. I don't want you to touch it. You're not, you're not going to be filled with the Spirit. If you have a glass and you fill it with water, it fills all the way up, pushes everything else out. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. All that negative stuff in your life, as you give more and more of yourself to God and say, here's my life, God, use me, he'll push all the ugly stuff out. Peter gets up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he says this, rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. A beautiful picture, right? A stone that was rejected has become the chief cornerstone of this amazing thing that God is doing. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This amazing event of the healing of the slain man at the temple steps 
set off a sequence of events. The crowd is going crazy about what God is doing, but the Jewish leaders don't like it. They arrest Peter and John and other leaders. And when they finally stand before the council, Peter says these bold words. And this is a great verse, by the way, to underline in your Bible. The boldness of Peter. I love it in Acts 4.12. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, And I get it, just like you do. That verse is hated by many. That verse is hated by many in our American culture. I've shared that verse with people, and they get angry when I talk about that. Why? Because I'm sharing with them what Jesus proclaimed himself when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if there is any way that this cup, the cup of suffering on the cross, can pass for me, if there's any way that it could pass for me, but not my will, what? Thy will, God. Thy will, Father, be done. Because here's the reality, my friends. There was no other way. If there was another way, the cross is not necessary. If there was another way, the cross becomes a mockery. The whole purpose of the cross was this. God made a way. He is that way maker that we sang about. I met a woman this week that uh, we were uh, started up a conversation and she found out I was a pastor. And she said, oh, pastor, ha- have you heard of this author? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't recognize that name. I, it doesn't sound familiar. I, I said, what, what's his book about? Uh, it's about uh, past life remembrances. Past life uh, where everyone has had a life prior to this one. And uh, this person talks about remembering the previous life and being able to learn from your previous lives. I said to her, what do you think I said to her? I said, oh man, I got to read that book. I got to find out what the truth is. Is that what I said? I said to her, I said, you know, uh, that may be a book that you liked, but I, I don't believe in that at all. She goes, you don't? This guy's amazing. I said, no, I don't believe in that at all. See, in my own own mind, I thought, do you realize you're talking to a Christian pastor about reincarnation? I'm like, I don't believe in reincarnation. Why not? Because I follow Jesus, and Jesus didn't believe in reincarnation. Jesus made it clear in his word that there is one death that happens and after that death it's appointed unto men to die once and after that what the judgment hebrews 9 27 you only die once i haven't died many times and come back in different forms and even if that were remotely true how can i ever learn from a life i have no recollection of i said see the reality is the author you read this is what i told her is going to die and stay dead. His words have no authority. 
compared to the words of Jesus. I said, what's your background? She said, oh, I was raised in the Protestant church, but, you know, I've kind of drifted away, and I've pretty much taken on the operational uh, motif that whatever makes sense to me is what I believe. And I said, you know, you seem like a good person. You seem like you really want to uh, connect spiritually somehow with a, a power. But your opinions, let me say this as kindly as I can, your opinions mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing. I could believe that believing in the Easter money will get me to heaven, but my words and my beliefs have no authority. It doesn't change the reality of the universe. What does have authority is the life of Jesus Christ. He died and rose again. All the prophecies about him give his life authority. So why would you ever want to believe something that contradicts the teachings of Jesus. I said to her, you need to come back to Jesus. You need to come back to him. Reject this author and what he believes about past life memories and recollections and pulling them out of somehow your inner conscience. That won't save you. And I shared, I said, I'm, I'm actually preaching on this verse this week, I told her, at my church. I shared this verse with her. Uh, there is salvation in no one else there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved see here's the reality church i know you're sitting there going wow i know some of my friends who get really angry at this and i've experienced that i've shared this verse with people that don't like it but here is my mo here's the way that i have chosen to operate it's better to be rejected for telling the truth than accepted by others and telling a lie amen church better to be rejected for telling the truth than to be accepted by telling a lie i don't want to be that way i don't want to be a person like that and the reason we know that what Jesus said is true, and I told her this again, he died and rose again. Your thoughts, what makes sense to you, have no power. They have no authority. Jesus does. That's why we're here this morning. That's why Riverview Church, we are called to be a light into dark places like people who believe these kinds of things. Some will reject it. Some will call us all these hateful things. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Better to be rejected for telling the truth than to be accepted for telling a lie. In Acts 4.13, the passage that we just read goes on and says this, and when they saw the boldness of Peter, that Peter would get in front of this council of 71 people and proclaim this message. The leaders of Israel, the most educated body in the entire nation, this fisherman gets up and says, there is salvation in no one else. You crucified him, but God raised him up from the dead. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. I'm sure Peter's up in heaven saying, Lord, did we really have to put that verse about me in the Bible? Uneducated, common. And she's going, yeah, we did. You know why? Because it encourages people like me. That's a verse that encourages 
me. That God loves using uneducated, common people to give the best news this universe has ever experienced. God loves using ordinary people. For example, what was extraordinary about the 12 disciples? Nothing! Nothing at all. They were all ordinary people. David was the runt of the litter. Wasn't even invited to the coronation party for the next king. But he would be the greatest king that Israel would ever know. He wasn't perfect, but he was an ordinary person that God would use in a powerful way all throughout Scripture. We see God loves using ordinary people that, that's his, his operational mode. He lo- loves to do that because God loves people who are, loves to use people who are faithful, available. And here's a key word, by the way, teachable. You know, there may be some sitting here today going, Mel, I don't like what you're saying. I don't like this whole thing that Jesus is the only way, that there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But see, God loves it when we humble ourselves and we face the truth and like, yeah, you know what? My opinion doesn't matter compared to the opinion of the greatest life that ever lived because he died and rose again. And I choose to hold my head high and proclaim the truth, to be faithful, available to God, and teachable. See, God loves using ordinary people. And they were astonished that Peter and John were uneducated, common men. They were astonished at that. But then they realized something that's given to us in the next sentence, and they recognized that they had been with whom? Jesus. Oh, that explains it. I mean, these are just common guys. They can't compare to us on the council. We're educated. We've spent our whole life studying the Old Testament. These are uneducated, com- but oh, wait a minute. They've been with Jesus. That explains it. Because Jesus had the habit of changing people's lives radically. Jesus has the ability to take your life and help you to realize exactly who you are, how you relate to God, and how you can make a difference for all of eternity. They have been with Jesus. I want to ask you today, what was the last time you can honestly say, you know, that man, that was the time I was with Jesus. Maybe it was this morning as you opened up your word and read it and had a time of prayer and allowed the word of God to feed your soul and you're like, Lord Jesus, thank you. This is exactly what I needed to hear today from your word. Thank you for changing my life. God, I pray that today as I go to church, as I live a life for you, that you would take my ordinariness and use it beyond my wildest imaginations. That God, somehow, I could be used to change eternity. The next verse in this passage that we're reading today says this, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they knew this guy. He'd been at the temple for years. They knew it was the guy who had been lame from birth, and here he was standing right next to Peter and John. They had nothing to say in opposition. You're praying that the next verse is going to say, so they opened their hearts to Jesus and to God's plan and finally came to the knowledge of the truth. But that's not what happened. This is one of the saddest passages in all of Scripture. 
when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through, met through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. The guy's standing right there. This is a miraculous sign. Your prayer would be that they would say, there's something behind this Jesus story. The tomb is empty. No one can produce the body. More than 500 people saw him alive. Thousands are coming to faith in him. We're not standing in the way of the work of God. That's not what they said. These people who knew God's word. Instead, verse 17, an incredibly sad verse. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Hey, let's put the pressure on them. Stay silent. Don't say another word about Jesus. Don't say another word about the resurrection from the dead. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. There may come a day, my friends, even here in America, where churches will be told, keep the message inside your building. Don't take it outside your four walls. We don't want to hear it. Pressure put on us to keep it silent. And believe me, my friends, it's happening right now all around the world. Believers who are meeting secretly under the threat of death and persecution, yet they boldly live their lives for Jesus Christ. Many who give their lives every day for the truth of Jesus Christ. We have so much freedom. And I have people come to me and say, no, America's so bad. I mean, things are, it's got to end soon. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? There is amazing freedom for you as a believer to still talk about Jesus. These are wonderful times. For us as the church to take a bold stand and be like Peter by the power of God and tell people this amazing light that has come into the world, the light of Jesus Christ. Because what Peter said was so powerful. Peter and John answered them. Whether, and he gives us, asks them a question. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek question whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. In essence, he's saying to the council, hey, you tell us, should we obey you or God? If they say, oh, you got to obey us, they're putting themselves above God. If they say, no, you have to obey God, then they'll say, well, then why are you stopping us from talking about Jesus? See, that's exactly what was driving these disciples for we cannot speak of what we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard we've got to tell people what we've seen we have to tell people what we've heard and, and my friends don't let anyone ever minimize your personal testimony don't let anyone minimize your story of how you came to faith in Christ what you've experienced like it always has to be foundationally rooted in the word of God your experience can never contradict the word of God if your experience does then you're some, there's something wrong with that experience but we need to always be willing to share what God has done in our lives how you came to faith in Christ for me it was a prayer Years ago, uh, feeling convicted like I knew I had done things wrong and just praying, Jesus, forgive me. I believe you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. God, forgive me. 
I put my faith and trust in you, not in my good works. Not in my good works. And the lady this past week kept telling me, Mel, I just believe if I'm a good person, it's going to turn out okay. If I'm a good person, it's going to turn out okay. And I said, you know what? I can sense you try to be a good person. But you have to face reality. All of us, including you, have at some point in your life disobeyed God. And our God is a holy God. We don't fully understand it, but when we step into His presence, we will see a place that goes beyond anything we can think or imagine. We will see God for all of His glory, and we will fully understand why there had to be a cross, why our sins had to be paid for. Because our God is awesome. We have to keep telling people what we've seen and what we've heard. We can't keep it to ourselves. That would be the most selfish act in human history. And I'm going to stop right here as we pick this up next time. But I want to give you a strategy for handling opposition. The first point, I'll give it to you. Don't be surprised or discouraged by opposition. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be discouraged by it. Know this, that in the opposition, God can turn it into something amazing as we tell this dark world about this amazing light called Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. And as your heads are bowed today, I hope you know down deep in your heart that God knows you. He knows your name. He knows every day you've lived. He knows every day you're going to live. And you were the reason, each one of us, this world and all the problems of it were the reason why Jesus came and laid down his life on the cross. For God, you so loved the world that you gave your only son. And we are so grateful. Lord, I pray that we would never back down, but in love always share your truth. Lord, I pray that even in the blindness of the opposition, how they can see your amazing handiwork around them and yet still reject you and your message. God, I pray that you would put us in situations in which we can take a stand for you and do it boldly and in love. Because Jesus, we love you. You loved us all the way to the cross. pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. So remember, fist bumps and elbow bumps, okay? Fist bumps, elbow bumps. We have elders and home group leaders in front who love to pray with you. And live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.